Galatians chapter two, verse one to ten. Then, after fourteen years, I went up again to Jerusalem. This time with Barnabas, I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and a meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to circumcise, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars. Gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should con- continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. This is the word of God. If you can have your Bibles open to Galatians chapter two as we go through it, I'm sure that would be helpful to you. Could you lower the volume just a little bit? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the gospel that it's articulated in the in the letter to Galatians. And as we come to it, Lord, we pray that you will convict us with the truth of your word, that it may bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. You probably weren't paying attention as this was going on in the last couple of weeks, but there has been a debate that's been going on、um, in the U.S. media, at least. It was a question. It was、uh, over the question whether Muslims and Christians worship the same God. It was ignited by my alma mater, Wheaton College,、uh, suspending a professor, a tenured professor, who posted on Facebook that they do indeed worship the same God. I don't want to go into the details of what I think about this. On one, on the one hand, I mean the answer is simple: we don't worship the same God. On the other hand, I think it does get complicated. But as I was following this debate, I did something that I should not have done, and you should never do, which was engage people、uh, in、uh, complex debates like this on Facebook. So I started writing, and he started writing, and he wrote something that I actually thought was worth sharing because I think this is how a lot of people think、uh, in these days. He wrote, "But Wheaton is trapped, like most,、um, like almost all contemporary American evangelicals, in a modernist paradigm in which human relationships with God, or indeed reality at any level, depends upon belief." What he means that he thinks that evangelicals make the mistake of thinking that somehow our belief about God, somehow our what we think about God, affects our relationship with God. Relationship with him—that this is a mistake. He went on to then distinguish faith and beliefs. 
that faith in Jesus Christ is sort of this undefinable sort of way of life uh, rather than intellectual knowing, and that is true. But then he went on to say belief is sort of things that gives us certainty, doctrines, things that we know about God. And I, I want to say to all of you, what do you think? What do you want? What do you think? Do you think what we think about God, what we affirm about God, the doctrines that we have matter? Do they matter at all? Or is it just way of life that matters? Well, I think our doctrine matters. And I think St. Paul would have said that it matters. In fact, I think this is the reason why he wrote the letter to Galatians, because there are false teachers. And he's saying, actually, this matters. What you think about the gospel matters. What you affirm about the gospel matters. He wants us to know the truth. The people who came after him weren't saying that uh, they don't follow Jesus. Christians don't follow Jesus. Actually, they were saying you can follow Jesus, but that you need to add something to that following. You need to be circumcised. And whether uh, one is saved, uh, uh, one um, whether a person should be circumcised or not circumcised uh, in order to fully be a Christian, that's a matter of doctrine. That's a matter of how we relate to God. What we believe about the gospel tells us whether we are believing in the right gospel, in the true gospel, or whether we live and follow Jesus in a way that would please him or displease him. And I want you to notice how seriously, um, uh, how, how, how serious Paul is in his writing here. Take a look at verse 4. He says there, uh, Some believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. They infiltrated to spy on the freedom that we have. He's using serious language. And look how, uh, how Paul responded to them in verse 5. He says, We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. He didn't say, Oh, well, it doesn't really matter uh, whether you get circumcised or not as long as you follow Jesus. He thought, actually, this was a big deal, whether to get circumcised or not. He says, we did not give in so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. The truth of the gospel is at stake. And he thinks that truth of the gospel is given to you, and we need to know it, and we need to preserve it. As a pastor of the church, this is something that I do think about and I do worry about. Can the members of this church distinguish Good teaching from bad teaching. The gospel that we have received from the gospel that is being twisted or perverted or, be, uh, or added on onto. And I hope you can, but I'm not sure if many of you will be able to. Too often we go by what sounds good or what feels good. As if our gut should be the one that's distinguishing, that, that should distinguish true teaching from false teaching. Or we might even go by, well, this makes sense. When the question we really should be asking, is it biblical? Is it biblical? Is, it, is the gospel that, 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 is, that is being preached, is, the, is that the one that has been preserved in the Bible for us? And you really shouldn't just trust me in this either. You should engage with what I'm saying with the Bible at hand because I, my, my authority, once again, is tied to the authority of the Scripture. The gospel preserved in the scripture is the right one, and you should be checking with me. 
Too often we simply delegate this responsibility to maybe denominational leaders, to theologians, to pastors, and to other church, uh, church leaders. When it is our responsibility to speak the truth in love to each other, to grow together in the truth of Christ. So one might be that we might not be able to distinguish, but actually even worse might actually be the situation where our, mom, where our members simply don't think what we believe matters much at all. Like the one I engaged with uh, on, on Facebook. They believe it, it doesn't really matter what we believe. What matters is whether a person is loving or whether that person is a good person. What we believe doesn't really matter as long as it produces good people. Well, it is true that believing in Jesus Christ should, tr- uh, tr- should produce people who are loving, people who are caring, people who go out of their way. I hope you see that in this church. If God is love, Christ's followers should, should, uh, should um, shine out that softness of that love that would sacrifice oneself so that others might benefit We must become loving people. And if we follow Christ, God will make us more loving. But being loving doesn't mean that we would just yield to false teaching or that being loving is all that matters. No, because much is at stake. In this short text, Paul talks a little bit about hints at what's at stake. Whether... Titus gets circumcised or not, whether Gentiles get circumcised or not, on this question hangs uh, all these things. Whether we have a fruitful ministry or a ministry that is run in vain. Verse 2. I'll talk more about that in a, in a moment. It will determine also whether we enjoy the freedom we have in Christ or will be bonded to slavery. Verse 4. It will make a difference whether we are united as a church or be splintered. 7 through 10. It makes a difference whether the kingdom of God will ultimately be made up of only the Jews or converts into Judaism or people of all nations. All of that is at stake in what we believe about the gospel, in this doctrine. Fruitfulness or vanity, slavery or freedom, disunity or unity, parochial gospel or universal gospel, that is all at stake. So doctrine is important. This is how Martin Luther in the 16th century put it. Now, according, uh, now concerning our faith, we ought to be invincible, more hard, if it might be, than Adam and stone. We have to be hard at this. We have to be firm in what we believe, what we know is true. But as touching charity, we ought to be soft and more flexible than the reed or leaf that is shaken with the, uh, with the wind, ready to re- yield to everything. So as I hope, as we spend time together as a church, you will be touched by the love of Christ. You will, be, you will become people who are soft, who yield to everything so that others might flourish. That is how we are, how we are to become as we become followers of Jesus, as we, as we follow Jesus. But equally... I hope you will come each week to learn, to examine the truth, to grow firm in this unchanging gospel. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We need to eat solid food and grow out of milk so that we won't be swayed by every wind of teaching that is in the air, but will be firmly grounded and rooted in the truth of the gospel. That's, only, that, that's how we will grow 
when we speak the truth of the gospel together, we will become more like Christ um, as well as we do this. And I hope you will, your minds will be transformed as well as your character as you spend time as members of Shatin Church. So a lot is at stake at what we believe, what we think about the gospel. So let's get into what's at stake here. One is highlighted in the first half of our passage. That, 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 that's the universality of the gospel. How the gospel is equally for the Gentiles as well as for the Jews. So Paul says uh, he spent uh, three years uh, alone. He went briefly to see the apostles. Um, and then he started to, his ministry amongst the Gentiles. So for 14 years, he says in verse 1, that he preached the gospel amongst the Gentiles. And Paul finally then goes to see the apostles. We're told in verse 1 that he goes with Barnabas, a son of encouragement. Uh, And that's no surprise there because Barnabas and Paul were sent together as missionaries and they were co-workers together for this gospel. And so he goes with uh, Barnabas. But that he takes Titus is a bit of a surprise. Titus is one of Paul's earliest converts. But most notably for our purpose, he's a Greek. He's not a Jew. He's a Gentile. Imagine how tense that meeting might have been in Jerusalem as this Gentile convert is taken into Jerusalem when this debate about how the Gentiles should be included in the church was hotly debated. And that's why, that that was precisely the point, that Paul wanted to make things difficult for these apostles. Paul wanted to say to the Jerusalem church that what they teach, what they believe about the gospel... What they teach about the gospel will have direct implications into lives of living people like Titus. So he brings Titus with him to Jerusalem. And thankfully, the apostles are on board with the gospel. Look what happens in verse 3. Yet not even Titus was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. The truth of the gospel is preserved. Verse 6, Paul wrote at the end of verse 6, They added nothing to my message. The apostles added nothing to the message clearly means that the apostles uh, thought that the gospel that Paul was preaching was not some shortened version, something that did, was missing something that was made more attractive to the gospel. What Paul was preaching was the whole of gospel. They did not believe that Moses and the law, the circumcision law, Sabbath law, that was all that needed to be added to the, uh, to Paul's message. Uh, They did not believe that the Gentiles needed to become Jews in order to become fully Christian. The faith in Jesus Christ was enough for the Gentiles to be included in God's family, in God's community, in God's nation of chosen people. And this might sound like just a historical event that happened in the past that had no implications to us, but it was an extraordinary event we should, if you're a man um, here and not a Jew, you should be thankful for this because it means that we don't have to be circumcised. <laughs> I'm not sure what it means for a grown man to be circumcised, but that, that, might, that must not have been a, a pretty picture. But um, this wasn't a practical point. This was actually a theological point. Titus not having to become circumcised confirmed that the gospel isn't just a parochial gospel just for the Jews, but it was really, truly for all people that everyone equally had access to this gospel. 
For example, uh, think about what it was like before. The Gentiles and the Jews could not worship together in the same temple. In the temple in Jerusalem, the Gentiles, if they entered, they entered at the risk of death. Jews, the God's chosen people, were not able to, were not supposed to worship with the Gentiles, people who are outsiders. This is the reason why the circumcision law and the Sabbath law and, and the food law, the purity laws were kept so, so, so tightly because God's chosen people were supposed to separate themselves, distinguish themselves from the Gentiles, from all the outsiders. So this mark um, between the Gentiles and the Jews were very clear. They weren't supposed to mix together. And Titus not being circumcised means that the Gentiles, all of the Gentiles, could now be included. That these, these, these marks, the wall of hostility, as Ephesians, uh, Paul in Ephesians puts it, came crumbling down. There's no more Jews and Gentiles. Everyone can become, uh, can be adopted uh, and, and be included as children of Abraham, part of God's chosen people. All uh, uh, not not just the Jews, but, but the Greeks also. This is the reason why we can become part of God's chosen people through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This is the reason why we can tell uh, tell our friends and family that through faith in Christ, we can become part of God's chosen family. Truly, this means that there is only one God, and that God is God of all people. And this has ramifications beyond Jews and Gentile divide. With that Jew and Gentile divide coming down, comes down all other marks, um, uh, uh, marks that separate people. Um, For centuries, we have been tribalistic. Throughout history, we killed um, in the name of our countries, Hong Kong, China, China, America, uh, we, we thought of ourselves uh, as Kiwis and, and Aussies and English, and we fought each other. We further divide ourselves from each other from on socioeconomic level, um, from, with gender, which school we went to. We come, come up with all these marks that separate us, and we, um, uh, we relate to people differently as a result of these uh, distinguishing marks. But what Paul is saying here is that as the distinguishing marks of Jews and Gentiles come crumbling down, all these other distinguishing marks come crumbling down, that we are all family together with, uh, with in, in, Christ toge- in, in Christ together, that we are all children of Abraham first, that all these other distinctions become relative. It becomes insignificant to our identity that's found in Christ, that we all become family in Christ. And this church is a testament to that, that we have Chinese here, we have Americans here, we have English people here, Kiwis here, we have all people from all nations, and we call each other family. We say that our social status, which school that you went to, isn't so important anymore as you enter this door, as we relate to each other through Christ alone. That we have all received the same salvation in Christ Jesus, and God is making us one, because there's only one God Gospel makes us all brothers and sisters. So let me ask you, how important is where you are born to you? How important has it been to you? How important 
um, is where you want to college or whatever it is, uh, do we first see ourselves as members of God's family, the members of the same kingdom? By the way, I think this has all sorts of political implications as well. You know, it should be in politics how loyal we should be into with our countries. Anyway, that is a whole other debate, so I won't go into that. But our first and primary loyalty has to be to Christ, has to be to other Christians, because God has made us one. God has brought that wall crumbling down. But that unity is, uh, can be torn apart very quickly, and so we need to guard it. We need to guard that unity that has been given to us. We need to be mindful of that unity. And once again, this is partly uh, what Paul, uh, the, the reason why Paul is writing this and what Paul was doing um, to, um, to ensure that the church is one. This is how he put it in at the end of verse 2. He says that he went to Jerusalem so to make sure that he wasn't running his race in vain. And some people think that that means that Paul was having doubts about the gospel that he was preaching. But that would go against everything that we know about Paul and what he said in, in, First Corinthians, in Galatians 1. In Galatians 1, he is sure, he tells us that he is sure that, uh, that his gospel came from Jesus Christ and no other person, and no other person's opinion matters because he received this gospel directly from Jesus. He's confident that this, is, this gospel comes from Christ. But then what does it mean that he goes to the apostles to make sure that he wasn't running his race in vain? It probably means that he didn't want to be he didn't want his work to be undone by the apostles or the false teachers. That disunity of doctrine would undo the work that he was doing. Think about it. If Paul was teaching one gospel, and then the apostles were teaching a different gospel, and they came after Paul, then that would undo the work that Paul did in preaching the gospel faithfully. I think... Um, this happens in churches um, as well. Think about, um, say, in Shatian Church, we, as, as we should, um, uh, teach that sex outside of marriage is bad, that it is wrong. It, it, it isn't what followers of Christians should do. But then you went to St. Andrews, and then St. Andrews said, oh, it's all fine, actually. It doesn't really matter. Well, that would undo the work that we have been trying to do here in preaching, uh, preaching the Bible. That's why he goes to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem, to make sure that everybody is on the same page. Unity and disunity affects the effectiveness of the gospel, fruitfulness of the church. And I'm thankful that there is much unity in Hong Kong churches around the, the core matters of the gospel. This is a picture taken in a pastor's breakfast a couple months ago. Uh, as you can see, many, many pastors, in, international church uh, pastors, meet together once a month to pray for each other, to affirm our unity with each other, to encourage each other. And I'm thankful that whether you go to St. Andrews or Ambassador Resurrection Church in Saikung or many churches in uh, many Cantonese-speaking churches in Hong Kong, we are united in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. But make no mistake, there are those that do not that do not preach the same gospel. There are too many churches, even in Hong Kong, that preach that all religions lead to the same God, 
that salvation is found in being good. Or people say that, uh, some churches will say that, that, that faith in Christ matters. But then you also need to add other things to it. Well, with them, we are preaching different gospel. And sometimes our work is undone by them. That partnership is not possible. And it is important that we distinguish what the true teaching is. So thankfully, Paul goes to Jerusalem, and thankfully the apostles affirm that they are on the same page, that they are preaching the, one, the same gospel. Verse 7, they recognized that Paul was entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, the senior apostles of, of Jerusalem church gave Paul and Barnabas, verse 9, the right hand of fellowship and recognized the grace given to them. And that wasn't just a handshake, mere handshake. This is affirmation that their gospel, the, Paul, uh, the apostles were preaching, and the gospel that Paul was preaching was the same gospel, that they were united in their ministry, that they were partners together. And it does get a little bit more interesting here. But while affirming the essential unity of the church, they also recognize the differences as well. Because what they say is that Paul is now the apostle to the Gentiles. And then Peter is apostle to the, uh, uh, to the Jews. What they do, what they're doing here is that the work will need, um, work amongst the Jews and the work amongst the Gentiles will have different emphasis, different way of doing. Uh, because they are preaching to diff- two different targets. Just think about that. Uh, Working with Jews uh, in the gospel would be different because the Jewish people knew the Old Testament very well. They knew, they had this background there. They, they, They used the Old Testament and they're used to fulfilling the requirements of the law. And so preaching to them, doing ministry to them would look very different to the Gentiles who had no background of any of this, any of this. And so when Paul was working, he would work slightly differently from how the apostles in Jerusalem would have worked. So while affirming their unity, they also recognize their different callings and their different emphasis as well. As we often say, unity does not mean uniformity. Just because we affirm the same gospel, it doesn't mean that all our ministry would look exactly the same. And you see that amongst the churches in Hong Kong as well. What we do in Shatin Church might look very different from what they do in the Vine or at St. Andrew's Church. But we are united in the gospel together. Uh, and this is also important, uh, very important for a church uh, like ours, actually. Not just amongst different churches, but there are many different people within Shatin Church as well. We need to maintain our unity. We need to affirm where we're united and, but also recognize that we all are different. Shatin Church is made up of so many different people, people of different age, different nationality, different personality, different theological backgrounds. But we are united in the core essence of the gospel. We have to be. But we also have to recognize that just because we like contemporary music, that doesn't mean that every church or we should impose that on, upon everybody else. And so sometimes we'll sing hymns. Sometimes we'll sing songs that are quite new in our church. Just because we have experienced God through some sort of charismatic experience so that we should impose it upon everybody else. 
just because we grew up in a church that doesn't allow alcohol. It means that we uh, impose that upon everybody else. Just because we went to, a, went to church when we were young in our Sunday best with tie and hat and uh, whatnot, that you look down on people who come in shorts and flip-flops. We are made up of all sorts of people, and we should recognize our differences here while maintaining the essential unity of the gospel. Depending on what the culture is, who the congregation is, whom we're trying to reach, we will do church differently. Depending on who you are, your perception of your church will differ slightly from what we do, uh, from my perception of the church. But we must maintain our unity. And if we can be united in the essentials, while recognizing our diversity and differences, we have great potential to, great, uh, uh, to be a great witness to the world. We can be greatly effective in our ministries. We can show the world uh, that the gospel unites, that God's gospel brings different people together for the same work, uh, for the work of God. The gospel makes all these different people a family. So as we close, let me ask once again, how would you define the gospel? What we believe about the gospel matters. The truth of the gospel must be preserved. And when it is preserved, it will make different people from all kinds of backgrounds one family. It will include everyone. And it will help us to set aside our differences and be united in Christ. And as Jesus says, when we are united, the whole world will know that we are his disciples. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you once again for Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the gospel that is clear. We thank you that you have sent your son, that he lived and died for us, that he was raised again and he will return in glory to judge the living and the dead. And we pray that these things are things that we affirm each week and these things, are, uh, these things constitute the gospel under which we can be reunited. And Lord, help us to maintain that unity. Help us to be one in Christ. Help us to be a witness to the world that is divided in all sorts of ways. Help us to set aside those differences as we come into Shatin Church, as we affirm our membership in your kingdom and affirm our membership in your family together. And may we do, maybe we be, may we be effective in ministry because of our unity. And Lord, where we lack, we pray that you will fill us with your spirit and, 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 and convict us where we should go, uh, what truth we should maintain. Uh, help us to be united, church, in Shatin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.